You know, there are a couple of moments in that song. Uh, for those of you who are fans of the Electric Light Orchestra like me, there are a couple, like, Mr. Blue Sky moments in that song. That's, uh, thank you guys um, and Kathy. Uh, yes, today is Envy. Green with Envy. Yes. Uh, visual aids. This is important. Um, I, I mentioned this to the um, to the first service that if you're hoping because we're talking about envy today, if you're hoping to get some deep, uh, profound insight as to why we use the phrase green with envy, or we use the phrase green-eyed monster, I really don't actually have very much for you on that. Um, about the best I can do for you, according to my research, uh, my wife and I looked this up. Um, uh, William Shakespeare brought both these phrases to us. They appeared in two of his plays. We don't know why he put them in there. We don't know what he really meant by that. Maybe he was just having fun, but old Bill, you know, here we are, 2008, and we're using these phrases, so there you go. You, I've given you officially a fodder for your office Christmas parties and for uh, holiday trivial pursuits, so there you go. Uh, William Shakespeare is your answer. To the, uh, the task, before we get to envy, and this is a large Bible and it really doesn't fit there. Um, to the, uh, before we get to envy, let me just remind you of where we are and a little bit where we're going. Uh, we're in this series on the seven deadly sins, and we believe that these sins are as deadly today as they were 1,500 years ago or so uh, when the Christian church first formulated this list of the seven deadlies. We believe they're as toxic today as they've ever been. And we believe that there's actually a full life in store for all of us. That Jesus uh, Christ actually has something profound to say about how we, li- how we live our life both now and eternally. But it starts, uh, the starting point is, is recognizing what these sins are. But it doesn't end there. A transformed life, and we've been talking about what Christian transformation look lo- looks like. A transformed life doesn't begin and end with just acknowledging that that's a bad thing and I shouldn't do that. Instead, we believe that the transformed life happens when we incorporate into the ebb and flow of our lives ancient Christian practices that soften our heart and actually make us more like Jesus. Because the goal of Christian transformation is that we would love God and love people. That's really what we think is the hope of this particular series that we're in. So with each sin that we talk about, we're talking about a particular antidote. And let me say this on the front end, and I wasn't too clear about this on, on, in the first service. Um, the antidotes that we're prescribing are not the opposite of the sin, but we think that they are a particular antidote that has something to say about the sin. So today, this particular talk uh, works, I think, nicely for me in three parts. I'm gonna, we're going to look at what is envy, why is it so deadly, and then what do we do about it. And in the what do we do about it part, I'm going to give you a little sneak peek. Um, it's not going to be about... Um, This is what is bad to do, and I ought not do that. I I need to do this instead. This is not a talk about willpower and about doing envy's opposite. This is about something a little more subtle, but something I think is a little more transformative. There's a great quote, I think, that can lead us into this uh, by John Ortberg. um, And and we've kind of used this particular quote um, and this idea throughout this series. Spiritual transformation, Christian transformation, is not a matter of trying harder but about training wisely. And that's from the book that we'll reference in a little bit, The Life You've Always Wanted, the book that we've been promoting throughout this series. Uh, That's our key theme. And in the antidote that we'll look at, we'll look at how we train ourselves wisely and build these practices in our life to bring about transformation. So, to lead in, let's look at envy. What is it? And uh, 
To start, let me just say that envy is a little bit wily because uh, it's difficult to, to come up with a precise definition because for 2008, uh, Americans like us living in Charlotte, uh, we oftentimes use the term jealousy and envy synonymously. And that's fine as far as it goes, but let me, let me just say this, and you can pull out your dictionaries afterwards if you so desire. Um, envy, uh, or jealousy can be envy, but jealousy isn't always envy. Uh, and envy, in order to understand really what envy is, I think we, uh, the Bible has a lot to say about envy by looking at its, uh, the seed of envy. And the seed of envy is found in this biblical word called coveting. And for those of you who know your Bible, you know your Old Testament, you know about this idea of coveting because it's one of the big ten, right? The, in the Ten Commandments, it's number ten. Don't covet. And the Bible talks about uh, what the things that you're not supposed to covet. So what is coveting really? Well, very simply, it's desiring something or someone that you don't have. Desiring something or someone uh, that you don't have. Someone else has something or someone, maybe it's a boyfriend, girlfriend, a child, uh, whatever, and you want it. And uh, what's insidious about uh, this idea of coveting is that um, the theologian and British preacher uh, John Stott, I think, handles this very well. He says that um, you, can't, you and I can't get arrested for coveting. It's kind of like what we talked about last week with lust. Um, we look at maybe this sin of envy and say, really, is it that bad? I mean, I'm, not, I'm really not hurting anybody. You can't get arrested for envy. You know, if you look at the Ten Commandments, you can get arrested for murder. You can get arrested for stealing or for lying or for adultery, but, but not for coveting. John Stott has an interesting expression. He says that um, coveting belongs to the inner life. It lurks in our hearts and minds. And I love that description, how coveting lurks in our hearts and minds. It's there. For some of you, it may be more uh, high grade. For some of you, it may be a little low grade right now. But it's lurking in all of our hearts and minds. Coveting is the seed. Desiring someone or something that we don't have. Envy, though, takes sprouts and bears fruit when uh, it gets personal. And just as last week uh, Bruce quoted from the great medieval uh, philosopher St. Thomas Aquinas, I'm going to steal a page from St. Thomas as well. St. Thomas said this about envy. Envy is sorrow for another's good. Love, St. Thomas said, rejoices over our neighbor's good. Envy grieves over it. Love rejoices over our neighbor's good. Envy grieves over it. Beyond just the desire of someone or something else, something happens internally to us and we begin to grieve. And it begins to eat at us from the inside out like rust or like a cancer. And that's why I love the special music so much. Because it hits on this theme of what happens internally in the life of an envious heart. The quote from, and the song was by Saves the Day, the chorus is, it took bites out of her insides till you're just a hollow shell. That's what envy does. It creeps in. It becomes, uh, we desire someone or something, and if we don't check it, it starts to eat at us from the inside out. I don't know the, uh, the religious persuasion of the spiritual point of view of this band, but that particular chorus echoes very precisely with the 
core text that we're using today about envy, and it's in Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom literature found smack dab in the middle of the Bible. And the writer of this particular proverb says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Again, it creeps into our insides and begins to do something nasty to us, and we become a prisoner of our own dysfunction. Um, but why is it so deadly? Why is it so toxic? Well, let me give you, a, uh, let me give you an example from my own little world, and uh, you get to all be part of sort of a group therapy session for Mark, so thank you for coming today. Um, not exactly proud to talk to you about this, but uh, here you go. For those of you who uh, do not like football nor fantasy football, you'll have to indulge me for a few minutes. Hopefully this will be instructive for you as well. Uh, I think it has an illuminating point, so stick with me. Um, I'm in a fantasy football league with seven other guys. I, uh, there is a particular gentleman in our fantasy football league. Let's just call him a, non-partici- or a, uh, a non-participating participant. Let's say that. Um, this non-participating participant, is um, he doesn't respond to emails. He wasn't there for our draft, so we drafted his team for him. Um, he doesn't often, uh, you know, fill a full roster. You know, if one of his guys is injured, he doesn't go and replace him. He's the annoying guy in our league. All right, let's just, let's just say that. And so here, it, but as annoying as he is, he's actually right in the thick of things for this coveted fourth and final playoff spot, and I'm right there with him. So guess what happened last week? I get to play this guy. And I relished the opportunity to play. And I saw that he did feel the full team of of players, and I was glad. Because not only was I going to beat this guy, I was going to slice and dice him into little fantasy football league pieces. And I was going to relish the moment on Monday when I could sit back and watch Monday Night Football knowing that this game didn't matter because I had trashed this guy. I wanted to annihilate this guy. Now, yeah, some of... Some of the guys I can see are kind of doing this. Um, Long story short, I lost. (laughs) Um, And as I'm I'm tallying up the score on, this is one of my obsessions, I tally up all the points and everything on Sunday night, and uh, I can see that I'm not going to recover from this game. I'm going to lose. Uh, My wife sees this. My wife is the unhappy recipient of of my dysfunction at this point. Um, And... Seriously, something, something began happening to me internally because um, this person that I was playing was no longer a person. Um, they were the object of my scorn and uh, something happened internally which was not healthy. And I had to uh, step beyond this and say, what's going on here? And so I come up to this quote by St. Thomas that says that uh, envy is... Uh, Where love rejoices over our neighbor's good, envy grieves over it. And I was right there. See, St. Thomas is saying, you know, Mark, if St. Thomas were here, uh, uh, he he would say this, Mark, I'm not asking that you rejoice over the fact that you lost. I'm not asking you to be a masochist. Get over it, though, Mark. Deal with it. He beat you fair and square. Enough. But envy is more deceptive than that because it creeps in and it starts to do something corrosive internally. And each and every person in this room knows what I'm talking about. Now, as long as we're on the sports metaphor, let me just, let me just say this. It's football season. Uh, South Carolina Game 
Gamecocks and Clemson Tigers, you know this. When you, got, when you all go head-to-head and your team loses, how long does it take you to get over it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, first service, someone said 364 days. Uh, if you're a Tar Heel or a Blue Devil, you know, basketball season is underway, and you go head-to-head, how long does it take you to get over it? And what about those coaches and players? Are they people, or do they become less than that? Do they become caricatures in your mind, where you exaggerate all their uh, most undesirable features, and do you like to mock them? Now, you may say, oh, Mark, you're being a little serious about this. This is sports. Uh, this is what envy does, though. In areas of our life that we think are off-limits to God, envy sort of creeps in and says, well, I'll muck around with you. For those of you who aren't sports-inclined, well, how does envy maybe creep into your life? Maybe it's with the uh, promotion that someone else gets at the office, or maybe you're on the verge of losing your job and someone else is going to keep their job, and that's eating you up inside because you know about that other person. Maybe it's the uh, kitchen that your neighbor has, the new kitchen that your neighbor has, or the new house that your neighbor has with more square footage. Maybe it's the new car. Maybe it's the corner office. Maybe it's the new child. Maybe it's the new boyfriend. Maybe it's the new girlfriend. Maybe it's the new killer app. Maybe it's the new technology that someone else has, and you want it, and it's eating you up inside. It happens to all of us. Another definition of envy is this. A feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. It gets in the inside. It gets into our bones. And if we're not careful, it'll eat us up. We won't get arrested for it, but it'll eat us up from the inside. Make no mistake about it. So, when someone else succeeds, or when someone else has good fortune, are you glad for them? How do you handle it? St. Thomas would add that envy is so toxic because it's the exact opposite of love. And for a, you're all here uh, at at church on Sunday. And uh, as a Christian church, we believe that, that love is the ultimate calling. Envy, in a real way, is the exact opposite of love. So, how do we destroy it? How do we combat envy? Now, again, let me, as we're in this particular portion of the program, let me remind you that we're not looking for the exact opposite. We don't simply because, become more loving people, in other words. If envy is bad, and we ought not do that, the goal is not to just do something different. There's something that we need to pursue a different path because at its worst, if we acknowledge our particular dysfunctional behavior in our life and simply seek to do the opposite, the worst that can happen for you and me is that that can simply become a matter of willpower. And that can become something like, well, I know I shouldn't eat fruits, or I don't like to eat fruits and vegetables, but I know that I should, so I'm just going to sort of suck it up and do it. Well, that's good so far as it goes, but it just doesn't go very far. A transformed life is not simply about willpower and duty. It's much bigger than that. Now, the ancient Christians said that that with each each of the seven deadly sins, there was a corresponding virtue. And the ancient Christians said that the virtue that we must must associate with, uh, with envy is the virtue of kindness. And kindness isn't just being polite or being nice. But kindness to the ancient Christians was generosity that results in good. Generosity that results in good. And 
we're going to take that one step further here this morning and say that the most practical way to live out a life of kindness is through the very humbling act of service. Service. Because service always costs us something. Service is always inconvenient. Service always infringes upon us. And the best way to combat envy is not to look inward and not to, not to sulk, but seek to, to transform our, our inward bent and bend that outward in humble service to the people around us, to your friends, to your spouse, to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to the people on the interstate, living out the simple life of service. Now let me give you a definition of service that I think is helpful. The Spiritual Formation Bible, this big clunker that I put on the, on the stage, defines service this way. And I think this is really helpful. Service is the loving, thoughtful, active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God in our world, through which we experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Talk about something that is countercultural to Charlotte Americans. Let me read that again. The loving, thoughtful, active promotion of the good of others and of the causes of God in the world through which you and I experience many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. In the words of Rick Warren, it's not about me, it's not about you. It's about how we promote the good of others. Now Jesus actually had quite a bit to say about service. His whole life was about service. And in one particular moment of his ministry... Uh, there was a power play going on. There was jockeying going on between his closest followers who wanted to be closest to Jesus and it was all about a power play that was actually spurred on by one of their moms. Bad stuff. And Jesus saw that something terrible was happening. They were, not, they were off point and he said, wait a second here, let me call a timeout. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, Jesus said. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man... Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life is a ransom for many. Jesus said, my MO, my reason for being, is to serve. Jesus came humbly in the position of a servant. We would have passed him on the street and not known it. He didn't come riding on a stallion with a sword and armor. He came as a lowly servant, a poor, humble servant, a homeless man. And he said his whole life was about service. And he said countercultural things of this regard all the time. He said, you want to find life, you've got to lose it. You want to gain real life, you've got to die to your own life. You want to be my follower, you have to sell everything you've got and follow me. You want to be, the, you want to be first, learn to be last. This relentless pursuit of service is that which defined Jesus, which is the profound question for followers of Jesus today. Those of us in this room who call ourselves Christians need to ask ourselves a very simple question. At what level or to what degree are our lives defined by service? Service that is seeking nothing more than to have our hearts softened so that we can become more like Jesus. Because let's face it, there are many of us in this room that are serving. And uh, many of us are serving in this room for tons of the wrong reasons. Um, and that's something that we need to be aware of. Some of us in this room are serving because, and, and serving perhaps, I'm defining service in this sense, maybe you're volunteering here at the church, 
or maybe you're volunteering in your community or you're helping around uh, your neighborhood or your apartment complex or you're helping at the office and you're doing so with the wrong, with the wrong motives, motives that will ultimately short-circuit and collapse in on yourself. Perhaps you're serving because you think that if I serve, God will love me and God will approve of me. Well, that's not going to go anywhere because you already have the love and the approval of God. Jesus, at infinite cost of himself, at infinite cost to himself, came and died for you to release you from the prison of your own making so that you could live freely. You already have the love and approval of God. Serving to get God's approval will not last at all because you've already got God's approval. If you serve because you feel like you ought to, that's just legalism. And that will not lead you anywhere. That'll collapse on itself and it'll be incredibly dissatisfying. If you're serving to get approval because you want the accolades or you want the resume uh, builder or you want just the affirmation, the feeling, yeah, I'm I'm doing something good here. That's just narcissism and that's going to collapse on itself as well. If you're serving, again, to eat your vegetables because it's something you ought to do, that's just self-centered narcissism and that's going to collapse on itself. And, often, and I say these things because oftentimes we, feel we, we are drawn towards service for all the wrong reasons. The life of service um, that's, that's ultimately the most fulfilling and the way of Jesus is a life of service that says, I seek to serve for no other reason than to have my heart softened. And God, would you take this naturally hard heart and soften it so that I can become more like you. And make no mistake about it, it will be hard, it will be inconvenient, everything inside of us will scream against that. In the life you've always wanted, this book, this spiritual formation resource that we've been promoting throughout the series, which we encourage everyone in this room to to buy, um, it's available on Amazon, it's available on iTunes, it's available at audible.com. J.P. Neiman, after the first service, came up to me and said he got this on Amazon for 78 cents. How about that? That's the guy who knows the deal. Um, in, uh, in his chapter on service, on the discipline of service, um, John Ortberg quotes from Richard Foster, who writes this, More than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our life through the discipline of service. Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh, like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. And Ortberg comments, Here, as elsewhere, in regard to spiritual life, our teacher is Jesus. The Lord said that he had come not to be served, but to serve. Many people think of this as a a temporary interruption of Jesus' normal experience, which would be to receive service. In fact, however, serving is God's business. And that's where full life is is found. Jesus, in another place, in John chapter 10, said, I have come to give you life in all its fullness. And a full life will not be found on the narcissistic pursuits of what's most convenient for us. Jesus said that if you want to be my follower, you demonstrate love by the simple act of service, by serving others. Um, Let me also make one comment. That for those of you in the room who are followers of Jesus, it's easy to say, okay, I'm with you, but I'm going to wait uh, to find the... uh, When it comes to service here in the church, 
Because we're advocating the best way to live out a practical and humble and hidden act of service is to make it a regular ebb and flow of your life with your friends, with your relationships, at work, wherever you are. But it, it takes a lot of service to make a warehouse happen each Sunday. And some of you are hiding, are, are on the sidelines not serving here on Sunday because, uh, for many reasons, perhaps it's too inconvenient for you. Uh, perhaps uh, this is your day that you just want to kind of sleep in and you don't want to be bothered with stuff like that. Maybe some of you are waiting for uh, just that perfect act, of, yeah, perfect niche. You know, I'm a singer and I'm not going to serve until I can be on stage. Or I'm an artist and I'm not going to serve until my art can be on the wall. Or w- whatever the situation is. Uh, let me just say this. One of the most profound aspects of service that I've seen in my eight years here at Warehouse is Jamie Henderson. And, and Jamie, I'm sorry if I'm going to embarrass you with this. But Jamie, uh, when we began our church many, many years ago, I saw Jamie serving in countless ways, small ways where he didn't ask for recognition. He brewed coffee, he set up chairs, he lugged, we used to have to cart these speakers in and out of the Grady Cole Center every Sunday. It was a big deal. Jamie was lugging those things, heavy lifting. Jamie wasn't doing that for accolades. And what I saw Jamie, and I met with him for lunch, and what I saw in Jamie, what was so appealing to me, was Jamie was saying, God, I don't know where my niche is. I think I might suspect it, but God, would you take my heart and soften it? And through these very acts of service, God, would you show me the way of Jesus? Jamie's one of our elders now, one of our teachers that you sometimes hear on Sunday. It didn't happen overnight for Jamie, but it was countless little deaths that he died to say, Jesus, would you soften my heart? And I would maintain that many of you in this room need to ask yourself, uh, need to be challenged with the, with the question, um, are you willing to let Jesus soften your heart? Are you willing to let God um, work on your heart in some profound ways? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Are you willing to let the love of God inconvenience your life so that you get up a little bit earlier on the weekend and maybe serve in a way that, where you're not going to get recognition? The kids over on that wall, some of them are grateful, some of them are not. Some of them don't know how to be grateful. Uh, my wife can tell you that from some of the experiences she had in the infant room last week. Um, we, I can tell you from being in the parking crew, uh, some of you are not grateful for our being there as we wave you to different spots. But being... Uh, the countless acts of service, small acts of service, are ultimately not about us. So what would it look like in your life and mine to be the type of, uh, to be the type of people that seek the real genuine service and the way of Jesus? And regardless of where you are on the spiritual continuum, let me challenge you with this. For those Christians, uh, this is perhaps a more live question. But maybe you're coming back to church or maybe you're exploring Christianity. This works for you too. Because Jesus wants to transform your life in radical ways. He doesn't just want to be a, a niche in your life. He wants to invade your whole life. Will you give him permission to burn down the superstructure of your life and rebuild it the way he wants to? Because he promises that it will be more compelling and more fulfilling and more life-giving than anything that we could envision. Ultimately, and this is where envy creeps back, ultimately the sin of envy destroys us from the inside out. It rots our bones and it becomes all about us. Jesus came to free us from the enslaved imprisonment of our own making. Will we let him, uh, will we follow in his way of life-giving service that is very counter- countercultural?
Make no mistake about it. Uh, Envy is alive and well in the city of Charlotte. And we exist as a church to be a city or to be a church that makes the city rejoice. The city and our neighborhood will not rejoice by a more envious community, by a more self-centered community. The antidote to envy isn't just will, isn't willpower. It's not just doing the opposite. The antidote is to say the way of Jesus is this simple act of kindness lived out through the humble act of service. Jesus, would you make our hearts soft so that we serve in ways that honor you? Uh, I'm going to take just a few minutes now to lead us in something that may feel uncomfortable for some of you, and we're going to spend some time praying. Um, I'm going to have some reflective questions on the screen, and I encourage you to bow your head and pray, or just have some quiet time. Um, this may feel uncomfortable for some of you. Maybe just give it a try, but you're under no compulsion to, to participate if you'd like. You can stand on the sidelines if you'd like. But uh, I'll lead us in some reflective questions and just spend some time um, asking yourself and talking to God through these simple questions. And then I'll close us uh, in a word of prayer, and we'll go from there. So to start, just take a minute and simply thank God for who he is. Don't ask for anything. Just thank God and praise him for who he is. Ask God to reveal in your heart where the seed of envy is beginning to sprout. And now if you would, ask God to show you how you can demonstrate kindness through service, both today and throughout this week. Let me close us now with words of challenge and encouragement written by the Apostle Paul. And if you'd like to keep your eyes closed and heads bowed, you can, if you'd like. Uh, these are words written to the church at Philippi, and this is, um, these are words about Jesus. And Paul, one of the early leaders of the Christian church from the first century, he says, Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interest of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited. 
but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. For some of you, uh, this next portion of our service where we take an offering is a simple act of, of service for you to uh, promote the good of others uh, in this community who benefit from your generosity and uh, the benefit of the community at large by simply contributing with your financial generosity, even in tough times. So many of you give with your cash, with your checks, with your online bill pays, with your direct deposits, and we are grateful for what you do to make this community possible. Uh, we invite you all into responding now with our offering and, and through singing um, and praising God through Jesus for who he is. <laughs> 